we would be honored. All right, everyone, welcome to another join. episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have one of the greatest and longest uh, friends of the show uh, on, on this evening uh, or afternoon. What is it? Uh, it doesn't really matter. There, I haven't seen the sun go down yet. Somebody's so listening somewhere. to us somewhere at like yeah. three in the morning, and yes, I'm calling you out specifically. Thank you. Yes. Uh, we have author Dan Wells on the show with us. Hi, uh, everyone. Yes, Dan has been here uh, like tw- 2009 was the first was time. Was the first time, yes. yes. And, um, and delighted to be back. I've, I've been here a few times since yeah. then. Every and back when years. we did the, the Gamer Forge, Dan is the one that convinced everyone that Lionel is much better than Boba Fett because he's blind. Because he gets beat by a blind guys. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, I think we're getting get booted out. We might out. be getting booted out. Um, that's going to be a... Oh, we're okay. We're okay. Yeah. Okay. We, so got, we got the okay. Oh, okay. Do they know that he is going to be coming to take the room in 40 minutes? <laughs> no. But <laughs> I'm going to let someone else okay. solve that problem because <laughs> I don't care. Should we, okay. Should we start over? The point of care. No, no. I mean, we got a good. J- just give it like a two seconds of silence and pick up again. Yeah. All right, everyone. Uh, yes, go ahead. I don't know where to go. Well, <laughs> we're talking about uh, how awesome Dan Wells is and yes. how many times he's been on the show. Yes, Dan Wells is yes. awesome. Been on the show many well, times. Well, thank you. You're you're also awesome. I'm thank happy you. to be back. We appreciate that. I mean, I'm all right, but Dungeon Crawlers is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% I, you're, you're you're my favorite one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well. <laughs> I am kind of a dice fairy today, but, you know, I'll take it. I don't know where to Jeez. go with that one. I've been you here the teaser. longest, and he's the favorite now? He's Wait, the youngest you, out no, of all. Here's the thing, Dan. As a regular anymore. See, here's the thing, Dan. As you alluded to so obtusely in our panel yesterday, I am the young, attractive model of the group. Oh, <laughs> yes. This is true, actually. That's wow. definitely how I make all my decisions. Yes. <laughs> From the attractive models. For legal purposes, that was a joke. Yes, because if you look up Dan Wells, you will find a model. Yes, you will. <laughs> so, Dan, got to yes. ask, how's the convention going for you so far? Uh, it's going really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, we, we are selling hand over fist. Like, Which it, is awesome. I, I'm in the Bard's Tower booth with a ton of other authors and uh, sold out of a bunch of titles yesterday, restocked, sold out of a bunch more today. Um, it's going really well. This is, all, this is invariably our best-selling show. Nice. Year over year. So knowing that some people are going to be watching this in the future and are going to need to come and pick up the thing that is hot while you're here, what's the hot item that everybody needs to come check out from you? Well, it depends on when this is going to air and when they're going to find me, right? Well, they're not (laughs) going to find you here because obviously today's the last day. I hope not. No. But, Um, um, you know, what is the, 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 you know, they're going to go find you on your website. So my most recent books... Uh, have all been Audible Originals. They started in audio. The the Zero-G series, uh, which are middle-grade science fiction. The first one is called Zero-G, and it's basically Home Alone in Space, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, about a kid that saves a colony ship from a group of space pirates. Um, Netflix just uh, optioned that one. Oh, nice. Oh, congrats. To make an animated movie. So we hope that that all goes well, and that option gets executed, which in this case is a good verb. Um, (laughs) We also have... um, Ghost Station, which is one of my uh, thrillers, but in this case, a historical Cold War espionage thriller. No science fiction, no magic, no robots, uh, just pure historical spice, and it's awesome. Dude, that is really, really hot. That sounds amazing. Well, I think it's amazing. It is my least read book by a country mile. Um, 
no one looks to Dan Wells for historical fiction, so uh, <laughs> no. But but I like it a lot. Um, everyone, go look it up. Uh, more recent than that, uh, non-book-wise, uh, coming out in just a few days, there's a new video game called Moonbreaker. It's from the studio that did Subnautica. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and Brandon Sanderson did all the world building, and I am oh. writing all the stories. Oh, oh nice. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the it's a turn-based, like, miniatures combat game that you play on your computer. And it's really fun. It looks gorgeous. And uh, there's not actually an internal story to it. It's not like a role-playing game that you play. Mm -hmm. Uh, What there is, is every six weeks we release a half an hour audio drama with full cast and music and sound effects and everything. And I'm the one writing all of that and guiding the storyline and uh, working really closely with the design team. We've got some really cool stuff coming up uh, that I can't talk about, but the game launch itself is September 29. And it's it's such a good game, and the the stories that we're telling are really cool. So everyone, go buy that game and listen to the stories. Strong agree. Now I know that Krebs is normally our video game guy. Yes. But in this case, I'm going to say the folks who made Subnautica really do a good job mm-hmm. of both building ambient worlds while still paying attention to details that help to fill it out in a really meaningful way. I'm really excited to see what you do with those audio dramas. And well, thank you. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. So, uh, first of all, Brandon has been working behind the scenes with the team for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And the world he's come up with is very kind of science fantasy. Mm-hmm. It is um, a great big star uh, that has a bunch, that has an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bunch of small moons and things that orbit it inside of an atmosphere. And you can fly between them in you know open top ships or on the back of creatures and oh, things like man. that so it's uh, kind of a sky pirates sort of thing uh the game itself is all ground-based combat as you know different aliens and monsters and things move around and and they the art for it's unbelievable like if you've seen subnautica you know that they're phenomenal yeah. at, at art and uh, the way that it all works is great and it really does feel like a miniatures game mm-hmm. um the, the models that move around are not animated. I mean, they, they move in an animated way, but it's not... But like, they're not articulated. They're not articulated, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, there's an incredibly robust painting system. And so you can spend... Like, I spend more time painting the models than playing the game, uh, which is also how I do <laughs> Warhammer and War Machine and all these others. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, it, they've captured that hobby side of gaming uh, mm. really well. It's it's they've done a wonderful job with it. I totally connect with that. I still have a Necron army fully painted to the nines, has yet to touch the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what hobby gaming is about, right? There's different things that you want to do. There's different ways to access it, and you can tell that the people who made Moonbreaker understand that from the inside. They are they are one of us. <laughs> they are they are nerds who know miniatures gaming. And it's just a really cool game. So without getting too spoilery, what can we kind of expect the tone of that first episode to be? Oh, man. So the game is kind of centered around captains. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have a captain of a crew. And so the main characters are the, the captains. And we've got a whole bunch of them that are all, you know, ready to go and part of the story. And season one of the game uh, introduces the first three of them. And so the very first episode is about uh, Extilior. Extilior is a death bot, a robot designed only for killing, mm-hmm. uh, who has gained 
consciousness and gained a moral compass. And so now he still looks and acts like a deathbot, but he has like a, a, an honorable code of chivalry. And uh, he's a really fun character to write because everyone's always afraid of him and he sounds so scary. Like he, he, we went out of our way to find a voice actor who kind of sounds like Megatron. Oh, <laughs> nice. Um, so like he, he comes up and he says scary things, but then he is a good guy who is trying to help everyone. So it's kind of funny um, and uh, very much a let's just have a cool adventure in space. Uh, once we get deeper into the game, after we, st- after we introduce the captains, then we get to start. And that's what I'm working on now for season two is, uh, uh, you know, the, the ongoing story. How do these captains mm-hmm. all connect to each other and where is this going? It's got a really rich world, as you mm-hmm. can imagine, from Brandon yeah. Uh, yeah. doing it. And then this uh, really fun story. Uh, we're, trying to, we're trying to do like a, an MCU thing with it. Mm-hmm. where it's all connected, but the different captains all have different tones to them. So Extilior is uh, kind of this, you know, you know, noble crusading knight, but in a funny way because he's this, uh, you know, death bot. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two season one captains that everyone's going to get to meet right off the bat are Zax, who's like a, you know, Mal Reynolds or Han Solo, space cowboy kind of guy, except... He's dead. <laughs> and so um, he's very much the scoundrel, roguish Joker type. Uh, and then the last one is Astra, who's uh, just like 12 or 13 years old. And with her, we have a totally different tone because it's more of like a YA coming of age story. And so the different captains give us an opportunity to tell different kinds of stories with a different vibe to them. Uh, so that, those are the first three that you're going to meet. So I've got one more nice. question, and I, I want to make sure not to ask too many questions before I let Dan and Krebs get a word in edgewise. <laughs> but, y- you know, you're writing these roughly half-hour dramas, mm-hmm. right? What are some of the unique challenges that you have as a writer to make sure that that medium works for you versus a novel yeah. where you have no, the time in that, the background? That, that's, that's a really great question. Uh, one thing I am finding is that Combat scenes can be very difficult to do in audio. Mm. Um, if it was a book, I would be able to describe what's going on. And if it was a movie, you'd be able to see what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when all you have are your ears, uh, it becomes very chaotic very quickly if we're not careful about it. And so we have to, we have to, be, we have to be very circumspect about when we choose to do fight scenes and how we present them so that the audience can understand what's going on rather than just, okay, now let's listen to blaster bolts for two minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we'll get back to the story. And so, yeah. And I imagine it also can't all be, oh man, you nearly missed me there. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and, you know, there's absolutely some of that, uh-huh. you know, and, and part of that is a bit of the joke, right? Uh-huh. Like you hear these just random call outs and sometimes we use the barks, uh, you know, the little things that like the units say in the game when you click on them, oh, yeah. you'll hear those in the audio dramas as well, like during a fight. Um, but yeah, too much of that gets old really fast. Yeah. So we're, we're just being very cautious as we figure out the best way to convey combat. Very but you know, it's also not all combat. There's a lot of stories and, and people going through and having, uh, you know, conversations and adventures and mysteries to solve and all this other stuff. So. Love it. Yeah. And I imagine at this point you've had a chance to play some pre-alpha builds and things yeah. like that. I've, I've been playing the game for several months now. 
Um, honestly, like I said, I spend most of my time painting rather than playing, but uh, they've done such a wonderful job with it. Um, really cool stuff. Uh, it's it's It feels like a miniatures game, but they're taking advantage of the digital aspect, you know, in a way that, like, Hearthstone or Legends of Runeterra does, where yeah. you, it's, it's a card game, but it utilizes the the fact that a computer is keeping track of stuff for you to do things that you couldn't actually do easily on a tabletop. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a best of both worlds situation. I looked up the game while we've been talking and I got to see just a quick video snippet of the painting mechanic. It, it, I was really impressed. It looked mm -hmm. really good. They've got a huge color palette for it. They've done like different brush types. You can do a wash, uh, you can do a dry brush, you can do all these other things. They even have a system, and I don't know if this was in the video you watched, where you can select a part of the model. Mm -hmm. So like if you want to dry brush the gun or something like that, then you can say, okay, activate the gun, and then you just wiggle your mouse all over to dry brush something, and it won't get paint on anything but the one part you've selected. That's better than wow. real life. Regardless of what your mouse mouse is over. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they've really thought about this. It's I am so excited to see what the players do once they get a hold of the painting tools. That's awesome. This game comes out September 29th, and it will be available on Steam. Correct. Awesome. Do you, have, do you have any idea what the price point's going to look like? I don't. Uh, I have purposefully avoided all... <laughs> conversations revolving around <laughs> monetization yeah. uh, because I don't have useful input for those and I don't know. So I can't imagine it's going to be crazy. I know that they're doing uh, some kind of unlocking system uh, similar to a battle pass where you'll be able to get extra little like things. Uh, but I have not been deeply involved with any of that, so I don't know what things you can unlock I know some of them are going to be uh, alternate sculpts, nice. um, which will part of those will be in Battle Pass, and part of those will be you know in in other areas of the game. But yeah, Man, so it's too bad it's only on Steam. It would be nice if it was on consoles and other game systems. Uh, I I suspect that they're probably going to end up bringing it to other platforms. That, yeah. But I th like I said, yeah, that's not that's, a part of the company yeah. that I am involved with, so yep, I, I know. speak with no authority whatsoever. So now, are you having a lot of fun with this? Because I mean. You've gone from when we met you writing horror thriller mm -hmm. novels to now fantasy and science fiction. Now doing fiction. space fantasy and video games. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's that's a long leap, but um, I mean I'm still doing awesome. everything. Yeah. Uh, my most recent book that came out was Ghost Station. That's the historical spy thriller. Um, and now I'm doing the space fantasy thing. Uh, I'm I've got a bunch of epic fantasy coming up. Uh, and the next thing you see from me, novel-wise, is likely to be a return to um, supernatural horror. So nice. I'm still trying to cover all the bases. Yeah. But uh, that's the other big thing we have to announce. And, and this we, in, we talked about this yesterday on Intentionally Blank, so word is out. But um, the audience at large might not know yet. Uh, I am now the vice president of narrative of Dragonsteel. Oh, wow. Oh, I, wow. I am Brandon Sanderson's, uh, one of his vice presidents, and so I'm going to be writing Cosmere books. I'm going to be helping him organize and coordinate uh, the Cosmere storyline and write a bunch of other things that all need to be put together. So 
that is going to take up most of my time. Uh, Dragonsteel and Moonbreaker are going to be most of my energy for the foreseeable future. Mm. And then I'm just going to do my best to, to put out what books I can in the interim. Dude, congrats, Dan. That is no, that's awesome. Really substantial. I mean, I know you no, and Brandon you have been much. friends for a long time. So yeah, we have known each other since well before either of us were published. Yeah, uh, we kind of came up through this together. Uh, he's obviously had wild, insane breakout success, um, and that's awesome. And I, you know, we started working together uh, last year. He asked me to co-write Dark One. Uh, he put out a graphic novel called Dark One that's a portal fantasy. Um, basically, there's a, you know, if if Narnia was real and it's trying to kill you is his pitch for it. Uh, oh, wow. A boy from our world finds out, teenage boy, that uh, there's actually a magical world that he can visit, and it's real, and he is the prophesied villain who will destroy it um, mm-hmm. rather than the hero who will save it. And uh, so that graphic novel came out a couple years ago, we wanted to do a novel of it, and uh, so we have collaborated on that. We finished the first draft. We're working on revisions. We both enjoyed the process so much working together that we decided let's just formalize this and uh, work together on a bunch of other stuff too. So that's what we're doing. That's awesome. So with you being vice president of the narrative of the Cosmere pretty much now, Will you still have time to write your own stuff, or are you going to be writing stuff in the Cosmere? I'm going to be writing stuff in the Cosmere and trying to write my own stuff on the side as well. Uh, My middle grade series, Zero G, Netflix is buying that. Nice. uh, Like I said earlier. And so that is not the time for me to abandon my own work. Yeah. Uh, I need to to keep putting out, uh, you know, more. uh, I would like to write more Zero G stories. Uh, I would like to do a middle grade fantasy series. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that I want to do. Uh, like I said, I've got a, a supernatural horror that I want to put out. Um, just so many things uh, and so little time to do it all. So yes. Brandon is hiring me. I feel like I should hire another person to write all my books while I write all Brandon's books. <laughs> and and then we'll see how far that domino goes. Well, I mean, as far as I mean, like Brandon, he's been writing like crazy, but... It's like, okay, how much time do you have? So bringing you on, I mean, he already knows your, your writing style. He knows the talent mm-hmm. you have. I mean, that's got to make things move a little bit faster. Yeah. Well, and it seems crazy, you know, the guy who had enough time to write four extra novels last year. I know. Suddenly well, decides yeah. that he can't write fast enough and needs more people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the Cosmere is huge. Yeah, it is. Uh, the Cosmere is a massive project. It needs more than one person mm-hmm. working on it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to, and we've already got some ideas that are so cool and so crazy. That's awesome. Um, Some of which will be novels, some of which will be other weird mediums coming out. Um, So, yeah. Uh, It's going to be great. It sounds like the Cosmere is starting to turn into the galaxy far, far away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first thing you see from Brandon and I together, the first collaboration is called Dark One Forgotten. Mm. And you can think of it as a prequel to Dark One, but it isn't really because Dark One hasn't come out yet. Um, it comes out in Ju- January, okay, uh, and unless it gets bumped. But right now the plan is January. It is a six-episode fake true crime podcast. Um, <laughs> we are telling the story of a, uh, a girl in college who starts doing an amateur podcast about this mysterious disappearance... Mm-hmm. 
And over the course of the podcast episodes, she uncovers this supernatural monster that's at the heart of it. Mm. Uh, and that is kind of the intro into Dark One. Dark One is about the boy from our world who goes into a fantasy land and the evil sorcerer from Fantasyland who comes into our world and, and becomes a serial killer here. So you can see why there's a lot of overlap between Brandon and Dan, and, oh, yeah. and it was a good project for us both to work on. Uh, but this little intro series, it's a six episode, you know, each of them is an hour long, uh, and it's, it was so fun to write in that medium, mm-hmm. you know, as if it were a podcast, and so it's, it's not going to be an audiobook. It's going to actually sound like a podcast with, you know, Actors reading all the lines, and, yes. and I wrote all the scripts for that, and uh, that comes out in June. Dark One Forgotten. Now, the really cool thing is if somehow he slips in Hoyd and you slip in John Cleaver. Because <laughs> it seems like that's a, you know, it's a mashup of those two. Well, the one character that uh, both he and I have used at different points is Cecil G. Bagsworth III, okay. uh, who is um, an archivist. And he has appeared in the Alcatraz series, and he has appeared in my uh, Night of Blacker Darkness, my oh, vampire yeah, novel. Yeah. So. Okay. That's awesome. He's bound to make a return at some point. He's got to. He's got to. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, okay. So, admittedly, and I've heard your name a million times. I know that you're like a prolific and profound author. Uh, but admittedly, I have not yet started any of your works myself. So as someone who has not read Dan Wells, okay. what's the first book I should read out of your entire pantheon of work? Well, that depends on if you lean toward horror or science fiction. Yes. No, I, <laughs> I, that, I happen to be like... not helpful at all. I happen to be like... I, I think of the three of us, I might, I might be the biggest horror fan, but that's debatable. Okay. No, 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 no you, you make okay, it. No. Right. Yeah, it's Krebs. Uh, yeah. I, I'm the horror guy. We all love sci-fi. I love mm-hmm. sci-fi. So, so I'm open to either of those sort of like realms of work. Uh, what would you suggest for the very first thing I read? Okay, so my first novel is 14 years later still my most successful novel. It's the most famous one. It's the one that got made into a movie. It is called I Am Not a Serial Killer. I was just, we were just talking about that we, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds fascinating. It's awesome, and you should read it. I should read that. Uh, Who that, wrote that? Oh, man. <laughs> some dude. <laughs> some dude that got dragged some dude drug out of the forest. Much younger than I am. Oh, um, I know that feeling. Yeah. He, uh, so John Cleaver is a sociopath. He, um, 15 years old at the start of the first book, lives with his mother over the mortuary that they run. And he is, as all well-adjusted people are, obsessed with death and serial killers. Of course. Mm -hmm. And he, because he has these sociopathic tendencies, he suspects and worries that he might be turning into a serial killer. So he sets rules to keep himself from hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. Then a supernatural monster comes to his town and starts bumping people off. And he has to break all of his rules one by one in order to find him and stop him. I love this. Uh, it's the first of a six-book series. Nice. It was made into a movie starring Christopher Lloyd. Uh, there is a produce uh, production company shopping it around really heavily right now for uh, TV series. I cannot tell you who, but there is an actor whose work you are very familiar with mm. who read <laughs> who read the book and told his agent he wants to be John Cleaver. And so uh, that has kind of... St- 
put all of the production into high gear. Uh, there's still no contracts. There's still not a studio. It's still not a thing. But mm-hmm. right. now that there is a star interested in the property, uh, that makes things go a lot faster in Hollywood. And so we awesome. are hoping that something comes of it. We'll see. Well, I mean, the really cool thing, uh, I remember when you were doing the, the movie, is the individual that created the creature actually played young Toby from Labyrinth, the baby. Yeah, <gasps> That's mm-hmm. right, because his Toby parents, Froud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Toby Froud, who played Toby in uh, Labyrinth. Labyrinth, whose father, Brian Froud, was the production designer, did all of the Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. Uh, Toby Froud now works for Leica Studios in mm-hmm. Oregon, do, that does all the claymation, and he was the special effects designer on my movie, I Am Not a Serial Killer. Yeah. That is Very fabulous. Cool. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. It's great. Um, the, pro- the the special effects in that movie are all practical effects. Um, I've had some people tell me that the CG in the very last scene where you see the monster is sloppy, and I'm like, it's not CG. That's a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've seen that puppet. That, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, it's kind of funny. But, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the guy who was on set running the special effects, because Toby designed them, and then this other guy ran them. He was also one of the Muppeteers uh, mm. that worked on Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and stuff. And, and awesome. I now, off the top of my head, can't remember his name. And I feel really badly about that because he was my best friend on set. We hung out uh, the whole 10 days that I was on set. You know, I was basically <laughs> spent with him. Um, and he's wonderful. And as soon as I remember his name, I will apologize. But, uh, yeah. So it was a fun project to be a part of. Very cool. When you're brought on to consult something like that, I mean, of course, like you, you, you've sold the the option to to make this film. You've sold mm-hmm. the rights in that regard. Yeah. So they have a certain level of control that is now out of your hands. Yes. But they also bring you on as a consultant in the hopes that maybe they do it some justice and that they also don't end up in like a weird, awkward relationship thereafter. But uh, well, well, to be clear. The vast majority of authors do not get brought on as consultants no, for, for the movies that they work on. And in fact, I did not have any level of official control. That's right. Uh, I had become, over the, over the course of the six years that it took the director to raise the money to make the movie, because uh, it was a very small indie production, uh, I became very good friends with the director. His name is Billy O'Brien. He's an Irish horror film director who's fantastic. Uh, and so, just because we're friends... He invited me to come and spend some time on set and talk to the actors and stuff, and it was great. Uh, but I had no actual uh, official consulting anything. So, okay, so so you were there on set, but you had no official you had no official capacity. But yeah. because you were friends with the director, did you have some sway? I mean, to some degree. Uh, basically, more than zero, less I, than sway is sway is a good word to use. Uh, but, for example, I did not like the script mm. uh, because, in hindsight, I did not understand filmmaking very well. <laughs> um, he changed the ending in a way that I was convinced was not going to work. It's an ending that I had initially tried in the novel, and it did not work. And mm. once I and, and so I told him, and I wrote this huge thing to him, and then I talked to him in person. I'm like, dude, this script is not going to work. Trust me, the ending won't work. And he said, listen, movies are different than books. The book ending would not work as a movie. My movie ending would not work as a book, but they are right for the format they're in. And once I saw the final product, he was absolutely right. Oh, that's great Uh, news. The changes that he made that I tried to talk him out of um, were good changes that made it a better movie. And so 
you know, it's a good thing in that case that I didn't have any control over it. Uh, but, you know, like on set, I was able to talk to Christopher Lloyd, to Max Records, to some of the other actors that came on, and they would say, well, you know, how should I do this? Or how should I play this? Or, you know, and I was able to give really valuable advice there. I also talked quite a bit to Toby and to Billy about the design of the monster and things like that. So there was definitely a lot of input Mm-hmm. And I was able to occasionally persuade them towards things, but they are good enough artists to stand their ground when I was wrong about something. Yeah. And I'm glad that they did. So how does that experience and those experiences, right? How, how does that inform the way that you now write different kinds of media and how you sell or work with other people on different kinds of media? Because I imagine there has to have been like a lot of little things that just like how you sit and you write a hundred books and then all of a sudden the hundred and first, it kind of clicks. Yeah. So like I have always said uh, that I am, I am not interested in an exact adaptation of something, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want to see a movie that is just an exact reproduction of the book because I've already read the book. Yeah. Um, that's why so many of the Harry Potter movies are very boring because they didn't bring anything new to it. They're just reproducing slavishly the book we've all already read. Uh, some of the Harry Potter movies are fantastic because they are like, no, this is a new thing. I'm going to put my own stamp on it. Uh, that attitude was sorely tested when it was my baby being adapted. But at the other end of this process, having seen what it was all like, having seen the final product, uh, I am much more likely now, A, to write what I know is best for the book without an eye for adaptation at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, knowing that if it turns into a different format, they will make the changes they need to make means that I don't have to think about that in advance. I don't have to think to myself, well, if this became a TV show, would I need this kind of character? That's That's a meaningless question to ask when you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I do the best that I can for the format that I am writing for, whether that is a novel or a video game or a, an audio script or, or whatever. And then B, I trust the ad- adapters. Um, you know, work with good people who are good at what they do mm-hmm. and let them do what they're good at and don't get in their way. And that is the best way to collaborate on art, in my opinion. Absolutely love it. And uh, I mean, you know, Dan has certainly consumed a lot more of your work than we have. (laughs) All of it. (laughs) I know that for a fact because you're a name who regularly comes up off camera all the time. Well, thank you very much. Yep. But nevertheless, I can say that the very limited view that I have into your work, I do feel a sense of, and it feels weird to say it this way, but almost like uh, artistic maturity of an understanding of your medium. It's, it's the difference between a photo of the Mona Lisa and seeing the Mona Lisa in person, mm. right? There are little subtle things that only come with experience and time and even sometimes hitting your head against the wall until you miss. Yeah. But for any of you that are on, have been wondering whether this is something that you should consider or not, I'm going to say, do go. It. Take yeah. some sampling. See what you can do to bring back in your own works because, Dan, you, you got it. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you very much. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. But before we do that, mm. we're handing it over to Krebs for the lightning round. Yes, because I've never had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. Okay. Wells. And so we've never done the lightning round. What is the lightning round? It's really not that big a deal, to be honest with you. Okay. I'm just going to lob you some very easy questions, usually just off the top of my head. And I would ask that you just give me whatever answer comes to mind right away. It's really fast. It's rapid fire. It's fun. Okay. Okay, ready? Okay. All right, here we go. 
What's your favorite color? Green. What's your favorite food? Chiles rellenos. Are you a... Which sucks because I'm lactose intolerant. (laughs) (laughs) Con queso. No. um, Are are you a pet person? No. No. I own two dogs and I love them. But when at some point in the future they pass away from natural causes, I will be very sad and I will not get any more because I am not a pet person and I won't have kids by that point. So... Are you okay. an, there we go. Are you an outdoor type person or like a city life type person? I am both. I love to go camping. I love to go. I used to go backpacking all the time, but now I'm old and out of shape. Uh, but also, I love cities. I love big cities. Uh, and so I'm kind of everything. For the record, Dan Wills is in better shape than any of us. <laughs> and finally, what is your stance on the 1983 sci-fi fantasy film Crawl? Oh, man. I have not seen Crawl in forever. It has been a very long time. Uh, but my stance on it at the time was, wow, this is amazing. They should make more movies like this. Yes. Which I hold to. I think that we need more fantasy movies in general, more fantasy TV shows. So Awesome. Fantastic. And that ends the lightning round. It All does. Right. It's over. Where can I, our, our listeners find your stuff? Okay, so uh, look for The Dan Wells. That is my website. That is my Twitter handle. That is uh, everywhere you can find me. Also... Uh, Listen to Writing Excuses, which is the podcast that I do for aspiring writers. Uh, Listen to Intentionally Blank, which is the podcast that I do with Brandon Sanderson. And uh, sign up for my newsletter. Go to thedanwells.com, sign up for that, and you'll get monthly reminders of how much you want to buy all my books. Awesome. All right, folks. So uh, go out, buy Dan's stuff. It is amazing, as everyone has already attested. I always talk about Dan. But uh, with that said, uh, we'll catch you next time. And dungeon crawlers, tell your story, whatever may come. And always remember to be epic like Dan Wells and don't suck. Dungeon crawlers, because we had such an amazing event at Salt Lake Fan X, uh, we have tons of content that we're going to be pushing your way. And here's another great interview that we got while at Fan X, and this is brought to you by Matai. He was able to sit down with author Dan Willis and get some information about the novels he's writing. Hello, Dungeon Crawlers. Matai here with another mini crawl. And today I am speaking with... Dan Willis. Dan Willis. Uh, You're a local author with a number of uh, different series in your body of work. You want to tell us about them? Sure. I started writing for Wizards of the Coast uh, about... Wow, it's about two, uh, 2000, 2004, somewhere in that range. And I wrote, uh, they had a young adult series called Dragonlance The New Adventures. I wrote three books for them. And then I wrote for a series called uh, The Anvil of Time. I wrote a book for that. So, And uh, lately, I have been writing fantasy detective noir stories, mostly because uh, uh, Jim Butcher got divorced and stopped writing books for about a year and a half, two years. And uh, I didn't have anything to scratch that particular itch, so I decided I'm going to write my own. So I took a detective and set him in the 1930s and gave him a little magic power and Wrote some good mysteries. Yeah, someone's got to fill that niche because, you know, urban fantasy, wizard detectives. I, I, I am a big fan of the Dresden Files, um, and hearing about this really got, got, me, got me interested. But this isn't just, you know, contemporary Chicago. This is 20s and 30s. Where, where, where is he set? It's set in New York, uh, mostly on Manhattan. And uh, if you, I had a, uh, a fan actually dig up a picture of New York in the 30s, and it looks very different than it does today. A lot of a lot of little houses where there are now skyscrapers. So, right, right. So, um, if someone were looking at your book, what would you say are some of the differences between uh, Butcher's Dresden and uh, your detective? 
Well, Harry uh, is a, a full-on wizard. He's got a lot of, of really nifty powers, and uh, he's a heavy hitter in the magical community. In my uh, series, there are three different types of magic. There's sorcery, there's rune rites, and there's alchemy. And these are all out. People on the street go to an alchemist shop for a remedy for a cold, that kind of thing. And sorcerers are very rare, and they're basically like Greek gods. They're a lot of power, not a lot of oversight. Uh, and in most countries, they're required to work for the government. In America, they're not, so lots of sorcerers congregate in America where they can, they're basically like industrialists. They use their magic on high, high power things that earn them lots of money. And uh, then there are the rune rites. The rune rites are guys with little powers, hedge wizards. They've got the ability to write symbols that have magical power, and they can do very minor things like fix broken things or keep the rain off of you or dry things out. It's very utilitarian, and uh, it's all patriarchal, or not patriarchal, but family-based. So a, a rune rite would only pass their knowledge on to uh, one of their children, unless they didn't have any children, in which case they might take an apprentice. And so different rune rites know different things. And so my character, Alex Lockerbie, he's a, a rune rite, and he's been trained as a detective, and he uses his skills to do things like put things back together that have been broken or torn up in a crime scene, or find things that were written uh, on a notepad three or four pages above where where it's been torn off and things like that that he can find evidence that are beyond the police and then find criminals the police can't catch wouldn't today's csi and investigators love to have some magic at their disposal to do just that well you know so that somebody in the 1930s what csi do today would be magic you know that's that's kind of the idea i had was you know what if, what if it was a csi but set before we knew how to lift fingerprints off of certain substances or how to find dna or things like that and so uh, there's a good deal of detective work. I had a guy once describe, says, yeah, his detective uses magic, but most of the time he solves his crime by good old-fashioned legwork. And so it's, it's, it's very much a mystery, and magic doesn't usually solve the, the uh, crimes, but it plays a big role in it, and uh, there's a deep, mysterious world that's kind of unseen that uh, over the course of the books is being revealed, and that's kind of my overarching storyline. And we'll get to that when we get to it. So. Yeah, and this, and this is a, quite a long series, not just a trilogy. There's, uh, you said, nine books in this series? Yeah, the ninth book, which is called Hidden Voices, comes out on uh, next Tuesday, which is 27th of September. And uh, people are like, are you going to stop writing these anytime soon? Because I love them. And so I'm like, I'm going to keep writing them as long as people keep reading them. Although there is a definite ending uh, in mind. And World War II is this 1938 currently. And so 1939 in September is when World War II really starts. Uh, Hitler's already invaded... Uh, Austria at this point, and, but there, were no con there was no conflict, so that wasn't considered a war. It was just like Austria, like, we go up. But, uh, and so they're dealing with the aftermath of that, and there's a lot of political tension because, you know, that's what ha had actually happened in that time period. So uh, it's going to be very interesting as the war ramps up and, and Alex maybe end up in Europe doing some things. And There's lots of, lots of fun places I can take this. I'm excited to get there. So would you consider this urban fantasy overlaid on actual history or alternate history? Are you going to like take some deviations from where our timeline went? Well, there's already deviations because of the fact that magic exists, that sorcerers exist. Uh, in, in Manhattan, the way that people live, the where people live, is radically changed from the real world because one of the sorcerers, a guy named Andrew Barton, created a wireless power apparatus that he, he then bought the Empire State Building and he is, his, that entire building is a power generator, and it projects wireless power over the island. And it kind of projects it in this parabola shape that goes you know, across. So Central Park has great power. <laughs> you got great reception. Think of it as like a radio station. But the further you get away from that oval shape, the worse your power reception is. So there's the, the, the core, which is right on, right on Empire Tower, which is what it's called, and all the rich people live around there. And then you have the inner ring, the mid ring, and the outer ring, and those describe your power reception. 
So outer ring doesn't get much power. A lot of them are still on Edison Electric. And so uh, you know, you, you've got things like that that change the way the world works in ways that, that mean that some things that happened in the real world probably wouldn't happen in this world. So it's alternate history. Urban fantasy technically is anything after 1900. So it's technically urban fantasy, but I always describe it as fantasy detective noir because it, it, it paced the era into people's mind. You know, it's the Art Deco era and uh, all that great stuff where I just love the Art Deco era. I could go on for a long time about that, so I won't. Awesome. That sounds so interesting. So Alex Lockerbie is the main character of uh, the Arcane Casebook, but some of these books have perspectives from some of the other supporting characters. Can you describe some of them? Yeah, I have a companion series called The Arcane Irregulars, and I wrote that because my readers demanded that I do it. I kept getting, hey, can we get a story with, uh, you know, the FBI agent uh, uh, Buddy Redhorn? Can we get, a, you know, his cop, you know, Alex's cop friends, a guy named Danny uh, Pack on the police force. Can we get, you know, stories with those guys? And so I put together a story that kind of brought those people together when, uh, after book six of the main series, because in book six, Alex was out of town. And uh, so I was like, this is a perfect time to jump in and tell some other stories. And uh, my readers really liked it, so I, I'm actually starting right after this convention that we're at. I'm going to start writing book two in that series, which I think is called Shadows of Anubis, but I'm not sure. Titles are funny things. They, they are in flux. The first book was called Curse of the Phoenix. These are much more pulpy than my main, than my main stuff. Uh, I, don't, I haven't got a story with a voodoo priest yet, but I'm sure I can work that in. But Coming soon. You heard it here first on Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Maybe. Uh, so, Dan, where can people find your books? I'm pretty much exclusive to Amazon, but you can get my books in audio, uh, uh, Kindle, in uh, physical paperback, and in hardback. So uh, this latest book, Hidden Voices, the audiobook, you know, because the audiobook takes longer to produce, it will not be out until January. But it is. Our, I've already got the narrator. He's. He's. I'm in his queue, and uh, you know, I'd be. It'd be December if he hadn't gotten COVID and been out for three weeks. But things happen. But uh, yeah, so if you're an audiobook reader, if you know if visually impaired people, the audiobook's coming. It'll be here in January. And how about your website and social media? Uh, you can reach me at danwillisauthor.com. Real easy. Um, I have a prequel book there you can download for free. Again, if you're audio, it, there, there is an audio for it. You have to buy that one from me. It's five bucks. So, you know, audiobooks are expensive. I try to make this one as cheap as possible. And uh, yeah, so all that stuff's available out there. You can get signed books out there if you, if you feel like having me scribble on a book for you be happy to do it all right thank you so much for your time this series sounds interesting i'm gonna go read it right now thanks thank you have a good one so dungeon crawlers remember to be epic and don't suck and tell your story whatever may be and know that we will be continuing to put out more fantastic, great interviews from FanX over the next few days. Uh, you'll be finding some really cool, what we call mini crawls that will be coming your way. And stay tuned because there's more exciting stuff coming. We'll catch you next time. Remember, the Force will be with you always.